0: Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech 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 Talk. Tech 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 Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello scholars of the digital age. Put away your science fiction and gear up for some science fact with a tutor for the future, Mr. Matthew Dickerson. G'day, Matt.
1: Hey, g'day, James, how are you going this week?
0: Very very good, yeah.
1: Now, I know it's a bit scary. But we do actually have an influence on some people out there, and and believe it or not, we suggest things, and they actually go and do some things that we suggest. I know.
0: That's great news.
1: (laughs) So we talked about it a few weeks ago, that we were concerned, or some people were concerned about their phones possibly listening in on their conversations. Oh, yeah, I remember this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got something to add to that too, but anyway, you've got something. Well, I I gave
1: people the experiment, or the the idea of, of doing the test, where... They sit their phone around, they make sure they don't go and physically search on the web, don't go and type in some search term, but talk about it around their phone. And the topic that I picked in particular was wedding dresses. I've got no weddings in my lives at the moment, and I couldn't see any reason why I would go onto my computer and search for a wedding dress. So I, I did that, and I had a few people basically go down that same path. So I had a bit of feedback come in now, and actually also based on some of my own experimentation. And at this stage, We're a bit concerned because Google were in a little bit of trouble for doing some things they said they weren't doing at the time. But at this stage, I can find no evidence just from the experimentation that's been done in a very small sample space, no evidence whatsoever of... Anything listening in on my conversations and yeah, then give right. me some search terms,
0: okay? Yeah, well, I mean, the jury's going to be out on that because we tried that at my place, okay? And yeah, no, no weddings happening uh, around us as well. But but here's me with my original ideas, you know, we talked about wedding dresses, um, and um, and lo and behold, we got a little bit, well, my wife did at least, got a little bit of wedding dress, stuff. I know, <laughs> but but I need to qualify that, Matt, because. She does do searches, internet searches for dresses, full stop. So okay. maybe there might have been a link there, but you know, this is like the basis of superstition. If something happens like that, you only need it to happen once. Yeah. And it reinforces a little superstition. So the jury's still out. We're going to do further experimentation yeah, on that, okay. I think. And, and So we might revisit this in another month's time or so.
1: And we'll get our listeners to keep playing with some different ideas because yeah, I'd love to hear someone that to can come say up definitively. With an original idea. Yeah. yeah.
0: Maybe some mountain climbing or something like that and end up getting some gear from Kathmandu. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, not <laughs> just trying the idea out there. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're smashing it out of the ballpark yet again with another great ep, folks. Stick around for the next 25 minutes or so and chow down on some of these tasty morsels. Matt, you're going to tell us about some supersonic commercial flights and how they're making a comeback. And we're going to find out what mega rich people do just because they can afford it. And we're going to find out why we need our very own stretchy computer screens. <laughs> More of that later, though. How about this to start off with? Internet-connected thermometers. They're not only giving COVID a nudge, but they're likely to form a major defence against most diseases in the future.
1: It's a great idea, and... I think it's one of those things that if you say anything's smart or connected to the internet or even Bluetooth, in fact, one of my favourite shows is Big Bang Theory and there's a great episode there where they talk about everything is better with Bluetooth. So (laughs) you you go and take some thermometers and go, well, how can we improve on this wonderful thermometer? Let's connect it to the internet, which seems maybe a bit of a gimmicky thing, but...
0: Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, uh, what advantage is it to connect your thermometer to the internet? But you start getting thermometers talking to each other.
1: Well, you start getting all that data being collated and they've been doing some experimentation. It's a little startup company called Kin. And they're based in California. And they've been using this for a few years. In fact, before COVID came along, they were doing it just to try and detect the flu at schools early. And they were finding that just by getting a regular check of students and their temperature, getting that all fed back into a central database, and then they could say, hold on, school X, it looks like there's a few temperatures rising over there get in there, do some further testing. Oh, look at that. You're about to
0: have an outbreak. Yeah, you're about to
1: have an outbreak. So get the kids to stay home and not spread it. Obviously, if you can keep the kids away from each other, then that's going to stop the outbreak. Now, that was all interesting when it was the flu. But now when it's COVID, suddenly everything ramps up a fair bit. So they're actually at the moment about to roll out 100,000 smart thermometers throughout New York, throughout the schools of New York. And again, they'll do the same thing there. And in some of the the early testing that they did back last year when when COVID was at its peak, if you like, they were finding that they were seeing spikes in temperature about 18 days before the state or the the health authorities were seeing spikes in outbreaks or, in fact, deaths sometimes from COVID-19. So they were getting that early detection. Again, what can you do with that? keep people apart. You see an area that's starting to go uh, uh, up in temperature, keep those people apart and try and stop the spread of that disease. So great idea. Yeah. But again, it seems such a simple thing. And so many ideas are like that. You see a simple thing, take temperature, great, we can see something happening there. But if you start to get it on mass, you can start to do something with all that data.
0: Yeah, uh, well, it's a fantastic idea. Though, tell me, Matt, um, what are the chances that I might accidentally or inadvertently be microchipped uh, <laughs> against my will with these thermometers, or maybe uh, you know, are they are they perhaps just a, another weapon of the deep state? Um, I don't know. You you, you have been
1: watching some interesting shows in the last week, haven't you?
0: (laughs) I wonder if they can weaponise those. Now, um, uh, look, I think they're a fantastic idea and and a step forward and anything that's going to help us to fight diseases in the future because that's going to be the big reckoner. Anyway, let's move on. What's the latest news on the smartphone market?
1: Yeah, it's quite fascinating, just the sales. I I like to look at the sales reports that come through and to see who's leading the sales and just the outright number of sales. So we've got all our figures that have just come through from quarter one from this year. So January to March this year, and obviously comparing that, say, year on year, last year, that was just at the beginning of COVID-19 outbreak. So smartphone manufacturers might look back and maybe we'll go back two years and look at what the figures were two years ago. But the number one smartphone seller for the first quarter this year was, quick drum roll there, Samsung.
0: Ah, there you go. Which
1: is interesting because many people in Australia, and in, in Australia, Apple's got a higher market share than Samsung. Right. But many people in Australia just assume that Apple's the number one seller around the world, but Samsung are usually up there at number one or if not number one, very close to number one. But Apple very rarely for the last, say, five or six years has been anywhere near number one because this. The Android market seems to be bigger. And again, I think it's that variety. So Samsung basically had about 20% market share for the first quarter. In number two was Apple. So they had 15.5% market share. And then not really that surprising, numbers three, four, and five were all Chinese manufacturers. When you've got 1.3 billion people, you probably don't need that big a market share in China to suddenly have a fairly big impact across the world. So Xiaomi, Oppo, and Vivo rounded out three, four, and five. But what really amazes me, James, is the outright number. So Samsung, in number one, sold 76.5 million phones.
0: Hang on, that's in one quarter? <laughs>
1: that's in a quarter. That's just one manufacturer.
0: <laughs> 76.5 million chocolate bullets is a lot of <laughs> chocolate bullets, and they don't take much to make. But these phones, they there's some energy going into making those.
1: Right? Just think about it, and I sit back and just go, the manufacturing process to manufacture one smartphone, they're a fairly intricate piece of equipment. Then you start to expand that out and say, how do you ramp that up so you can produce them on quantity? And then seventy-six and a half million quantity it just becomes mind-blowing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now they haven't got just one factory, obviously. They've so got more are than these one single factory. use
0: mobile phones that they <laughs> <laughs> you make one call. One text message and you've got a bin it but uh, right. no. No, 76.5 million phones. That's yeah. right.
1: Now I think most of the advantage that Samsung has is they do have a fairly wide breadth someone like Apple for example focuses more on the high end of the market the, the flagship models but Samsung has everything from the flagships from their S21s for example all the way through to their A12s A32s their base models so they've got great variety mm. there but one thing that really has been driving sales has been 5G and a bit worried now that you're worried about the thermometer injecting something into you we're back to 5G now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but with 5G now <laughs> we're getting many models that are coming out with 5G and obviously more towers around the world are being built with 5G. So when you've got someone like Samsung that's got a range of 5G models, that obviously makes it better for them to sell new models. Mm. And it sometimes is a driver for someone to go and buy that new smartphone. But when you look at the comparison, this is also quite impressive from the manufacturer's point of view. The quarter-on-quarter comparison, say from this quarter to the last quarter, end of 2020, was a 26% increase. And you might think, well, maybe it was down a bit. Maybe COVID had a bit of an impact. But when you compare this quarter to the same quarter last year. So again, probably not really being impacted by COVID. It was just mm. the beginning of COVID. They had a 22% increase from the first quarter of this year to the first quarter last so year, 22%. Gangbusters. Yeah, that's right. and That's overall smartphone sales, not just Samsung. All smartphone sales had an increase of about 22%. So
0: technically absolutely everyone, including newborn babies, has got a new phone in their pocket. (laughs) Is that right?
1: (laughs) Well, in Australia, we know there are more mobile phone subscribers, so more mobile phone numbers in use than there are people. Now, that means that maybe not every baby's got one, but it means (laughs) that many people have more than one. And when you consider that a tablet or a dongle or other devices that might be connected, they're all using up a mobile phone number as well. It's not hard for one individual to have two, three, four services as such. So getting more than we've got in people doesn't surprise a lot of people and they're getting them younger now it used to be wait till you get to high school that used yeah. to be the trigger for a lot of kids that they'd whinge or nag to mum yeah. and dad <laughs> and they'd say no no wait until you get to high school well now I think we're seeing kids younger than high school yeah. getting to the point where they've got mobile phones so it is broadening out that market yeah, as well yeah it's just
0: been normalised hasn't it it has well, moving on. Uh, they pulled the pin on the Concorde way back in 2003, folks, and it really upset a fair chunk of the European and American population. Uh, not just the well-to-do, but but real flying enthusiasts as well. Well, folks, they'll soon have a chance to fly supersonic again, and that's you too.
1: Yeah, that's me too. I never flew on the Concorde, James, and when it got shut down, I actually thought, oh, I would have liked to have, and I looked at the, the tickets when they were going at the end and people were buying normal tickets, putting them on eBay, and they were going for $60,000 and $80,000, so I thought that might be the best yeah, use but, of my money. Well,
0: from what I gather, you, we had some high-end businessmen who were commuting uh, between you know France and, and New York on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, that's right. You'd, you'd go across to, to London, for example, or New York, or sorry, Paris, and it was about a seven-hour trip or, or thereabouts, maybe seven and a half hours normally. And the Concorde took it down to about three and a half hours. So, yeah, you could get up and maybe yeah, wow. take an early flight, get across mate. there, do your normal day's work and be back home for dinner. It certainly did change things dramatically. And it seemed like the illogical way to go. We seem to be trying to get faster and stronger with everything that we do. So why wouldn't we all be flying supersonic? Well, that it's was back just an 76. exciting
0: prospect to be going faster than the speed of sound.
1: You're right, James. Especially when you consider how significant an achievement it was when humans first flew faster than the speed of sound. I remember a quote from Jack Ridley, the chief of the U.S. Air Force's Flight Test Engineering Laboratory. He said, There was a demon that lived in the air. They said whoever challenged him would die. His controls would freeze up. His plane would buffet wildly and he would disintegrate. The demon lived at Mach 1 on the meter, 750 miles an hour, where the air could no longer move out of the way. He lived behind a barrier, through which they said, no man would ever pass. They called it the sound barrier. Well, of course, as history tells us, Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier on the 14th of October 1947. But fast and the speed of sound travel was not possible for most people until along came the Concorde. But it's been 2003, as you say, 18 years since we've last flown supersonic for the general public. But now there's a company called Boom Supersonic, and obviously Boom with the sonic boom reference there, and they've got a plane called the Overture. So they believe that this will now get back into the realm of where people will be flying supersonic again. It's not going to be quite as fast as the Concorde. The Concorde actually flew at just over Mach 2, so just more than twice as fast the speed of sound. So it flew roughly at about 2,180 kilometres an hour. The Overture, as it's called, will be flying a little bit slower than that, only Mach 1.7 about 1,805 kilometres an hour still not too bad though
0: <laughs> well it's hardly a disappointment <laughs> no that's right I think that would be okay <laughs>
1: But the real thing here is about the sustainability of it. The Concorde, for all the years that it flew, people talked about the expense of running it, the maintenance cost. It was the last plane, really commercial plane, that still had three people in the cabin. It had two pilots and a flight engineer. Not sure what the flight engineer did, but obviously <laughs> you want to design that out of the plane and only have the two pilots in there. The whole idea of this is that you've got to try and fly it sustainably. So they believe they can produce the plane and have airlines flying the plane for net zero carbon emissions which yeah, is that's amazing pretty big claim to make isn't it
0: yeah right so what what sort of fuel are you using for that sorry
1: <laughs> they're talking about sustainable aviation fuel or some people call it a posh biodiesel and basically you take everything from maybe a bit of animal fat, uh, you get things from the farming industry, you get high energy crops, put all that together, and that produces some sort of fuel that's going to be as good as jet fuel, apparently. And I can't imagine that you'd want a substandard fuel when you want to get to Mach 1.7. So (laughs) not only is there the excitement that you could fly faster than the speed of sound, but also that you could do it sustainably, which I think is quite exciting. And I think by the time this is real, we're talking about 2029, so eight years away, As much as the world is starting to focus on the climate and the environment now, I think by 2029... it would be absolutely essential. You wouldn't want to get on a plane that didn't have some sort of yeah. net zero carbon emission statement associated with it. So yeah. it's the right path to go down. But I am still excited about that whole idea of going faster than the speed of sound. It's, but it sounds but I do think
0: that there's some other limitations to where you can actually catch these planes. They've got certain limitations about flying over land. You're not allowed to be you know, breaking the sound barrier over people's houses and stuff like that because it's just so loud and, and alarming. Uh, apparently they only do that when they're over the ocean. Is that uh, right? It's yeah. a
1: bit disappointing, isn't it? Surely a little bit of a sonic boom every now and again. <laughs> In a flight path, and, but you're and right. And then
0: because it uses so much fuel, they can only go so so far, I guess, at this stage. So, you know, you're only looking for a short distance over, the, say, the Atlantic Ocean rather than the Pacific Ocean. So there's some yeah, limitations. They, the
1: Concorde didn't fly, for example, Sydney to LA, that long flight, which would normally take 13 hours in a normal plane. But they are talking with the Overture. They're quoting travel times between Sydney and LA. Oh, really? So it may well be that they yeah, start here wow. a bit longer. And, and obviously, they fly high, and the the Concorde flew at great heights as well, so about 60,000 feet it flew at. And that's obviously to try and get that wind resistance down low uh, you'd tell me the exact formula but you double your speed you quadruple your air resistance so yeah. you start going from a normal airliner at say 0.9 0.92 mac jump up to 1.7 mac yeah you've basically doubled your speed yeah. and if you only flew at that say 36,000 feet that a normal airliner might fly out then you've got that air resistance get to 60,000 feet less air around obviously so you're thinning that air out you've got less air resistance you've got to get up to that height though as well which Choose up a bit of energy. So it's yeah. a pretty complicated equation overall. And you've also got that expansion of the cabin, less air density at 60,000 feet. So the cabin wants to expand more, more pressure on the inside because we're little humans in the middle. We yeah. want to be sitting there at a nice, comfortable air pressure. And uh, and then the temperature outside, it's about negative 57 degrees Celsius. So it's a bit chilly outside. So you've got to make sure the plane works at those sort of temperatures.
0: Yeah, I, the physics behind it is mind-boggling. It and is. I just yeah, yeah, well, I'm looking forward to seeing this boom get together.
1: Yeah, yeah, and no, I think it would be very exciting.
0: A couple of weeks ago you told us about the roll-up flat screen tellies. Now we've got a stretchy flat screen... What the?
1: <laughs> so I, I don't want to get people confused here. We did talk about the roll-ups. That's great. And this stretchable OLED that Samsung's come out with doesn't mean you can go into the store and buy a 40-inch screen, get home and put it on your wall and then stretch it out. Stretch it out <laughs> over the whole wall. What they've done is they've basically taken a, an LED screen, a, 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 not a normal TV screen, a very basic LED screen, and then they've put some elastomers between the actual LED components so that this can stretch out. The main thing they're working on here. Is the wearables market? It's a huge, exploding market with wearables. People are wearing their their watches, their Fitbits, all those types oh, yeah, of things. Oh yeah,
0: particularly with athletes and things. Yeah,
1: athletes. That's right. And people with an ongoing illness that they want to monitor. Oh yeah. Having any of that monitoring on there with those wearables makes sense. But if you had something that was like a Band-Aid, for example, that you could stick on, make it thinner. Obviously, you might want to use some of your energy in the body to power it, or it might be very low power, so a very small battery that it might need. The idea here would be that you could have, for example, a heart rate monitor. It would be on your body, and you could actually just monitor that by looking at the LED screen on there, not connecting it to a phone, not looking at a clumsy watch or whatever it might be. I don't know all the things they can test with it. One of the things I thought would be great would be the ongoing testing of Blood pressure, I'm just not sure how they'd get to the point of checking blood pressure. I mean, heart rate's fairly mm. easy to check yeah, now. Yeah, but blood
0: but pressure's next level, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how
1: they do that, but we're at the point now we're doing ECGs with our watches. But the idea here is, again, get this device. You walk into the doctor... Hey, Doc, I'm worried about whatever. Mm. And he says, sure. And he pulls out a little patch, sticks it on, and that would be the LED screen built into the actual measuring or monitoring yeah, device Yeah, because right as now well. if you need a
0: heart rate monitor, you've got this satchel you've got to wear on you, and you're strapped in, you've got the wires hanging off you and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, how inconvenient is that? But I'm interested in this blood pressure, if they can solve that because... The sphygmomanometer makers of the world are probably getting a little bit nervous. You dealt well with the pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> lots of practices of science teaching, yeah. Yeah, so
1: you're right. There are other ways to measure blood pressure, but normally they're relying on that constriction of flow to try and check what pressure the blood needs to get through. How you do that with a little stick-on thing, I'm not sure. Yeah. But there's other things I'm sure the people could monitor. And again, once you've got the technology, with so many of these things, the technologists come up with... The technology and then they leave for someone else to come up with the application for it mm. so at this stage samsung said hey we've got a stretchable oled what do you want to do with it now and then other people will come up with some of those concepts
0: I can imagine people wearing their mobile phones on their forearm or whatever now and you know <laughs> yeah well, why we've would talked you carry a bulky mo- mobile phone in your handbag or putting it in your pocket you know, that's right just, just put
1: your glove on put yeah. your sleeve on maybe and that's your mobile phone built in maybe yeah. it's using the, the heat difference between your body and the outside air to generate enough power for it who knows let's go forward 50 years James and see exactly what people are doing ah, the prophecies of
0: the future this is amazing Retro gamers are going to get behind me on this next story. Now, in the early 80s, I worked so hard to hone my skills on Space Invaders and Centipede so that if our planet was to be invaded by large pixelated aliens, then my talent would come right into the fore. I would be a very needed commodity. Well, it never happened, or at least it didn't happen yet. But there's some great news, Matt. Atari is on the comeback. Is that right?
1: That is right. And I will right beside you, James. If we were ever invaded by a bunch of asteroids, I reckon I could explode them all with my little yeah. triangle that I could move all around the screen.
0: Wasted hours that mum and dad said. <laughs> um, they weren't wasted one little bit. Absolutely
1: not. Once the <laughs> invasion happens, we've just got to wait for that to happen. But Atari is a big name in game. Gaming consoles, or it was a big name, 25 years since they released a gaming console.
0: 25 years. And I think it's fair to say gaming consoles. (laughs) 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 You're obviously playing when you're two or three,
1: James. (laughs) But obviously, with Atari, it's a name well known. But gaming consoles have changed now, and it's obviously the whole market is really at the forefront. We've got PlayStation 5, Microsoft Xbox Series X, they're the, the big two. And it's all about the games that have been built for those particular platforms. And so Atari came along and said, we're going to release a new gaming console, but they're so far behind now mm. with the games because it's no good if you've got a great console, you can have the best console in the world, if mm. there's no games to play on it. If There's not the equivalent of the Space Invaders. Well, if, or afterwards. Yeah, if
0: you're going to send out Space Invaders again, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've done <laughs> well, that. Maybe <laughs> with some better <laughs> graphics, maybe, but yeah,
1: no, maybe we, the, the gameplay has become a little bit more advanced now. Yeah. So what they've done with this particular Atari is they've said, essentially, it's a computer. So it's called a gaming console, but in essence, there's so many games now you can play that are online games. There's so many sites that are specifically for online gameplay. This is, when I say just, it's just a computer, but it's a computer that's built specifically for gameplay. Expensive for a console or cheap for a PC, it's about $850 in Australian dollars. Yeah, right, okay. So that, that's a bit dearer, about $100 dearer than, say, the PlayStation or Xbox. But for a gaming computer, you can easily pay four or five grand for a gaming yeah, computer. Sure. So they've kind of taken a bit of a, a halfway bet there. We'll, we'll make it so that it's appealing to everyone. It's just like a PC that you plug into your TV and play in that particular way. And that means lots of games can be played on it, but they won't have that... Market advantage by saying only on this Atari console, the same way that PlayStation and Xbox often have exclusive games to their platform. That's really the driver. If you talk to anyone that buys the Xbox or the PlayStation, you'll say, Why did you buy that one? I reckon about 90% of the time they'll say, Oh, I play. Game X, Game Y, yeah. I wanted this particular gaming console.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. So
1: yeah. it's good to see the Atari name come back. It's always interesting to see some of those old names that we, we know and love. Nostalgic is
0: what it is. And I think that's
1: what it'll do. I think it'll get some nostalgia sales, absolutely, from people like you and I who go, hey, I know that name, I recognise it. So recognize in the
0: 45 it. plus market, <laughs> they're going right. to hit the jackpot.
1: You yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then let's see how they go with having a gaming PC, effectively, that can play whatever they want to play with that versatility of that without having that market domination of just one particular program anyway
0: Mm. see how it goes watch this space folks every second person in the world has a childlike fantasy of what it'd be like to be able to spend exorbitant amounts of cash if you had it that disposable cash well jeff bezos on the other hand actually has the cash and can do whatever he wants what's he about to throw his cash at now
1: well, I think he's actually struggling, James, for something to do in retirement. It won't be long and he'll be retiring. He's a little nervous. Yeah, and saying, oh no, what do I do? If I don't get to generate billions of dollars every day in my job as Amazon CEO, what could I possibly he's do? He's already
0: gone and bought himself 20 fancy two-seater sports cars. So. That's right,
1: and he's got a, a yacht that seems reasonably okay. He's got a, you know, a helicopter sitting on top of it, that type of thing. Yeah. So you struggle. Is it golf? Is it playing a bit of bridge? Jigsaw or puzzles. Jigsaw puzzles or going into space? I mean, there's some tough choices oh, of there. Yeah, why
0: not? It's <laughs> and, and a natural progression. Well, it
1: is. and And then you've got the problem that, hold on, there's no company that takes people into space commercially. Sure, you've got... Space authorities like NASA, but you've got to go and train and mm.
0: be a—that's oh, an a lot absolute, of hard work. Yeah,
1: an athlete and all but that. What sort if you've things. just got
0: money to spend? Well, why not
1: start your own company, which is what Jeff has done? He started up his own company to get people into space with space tourism. It hasn't actually started happening yet for people to go up in space, but he said, "Look, I want to do it. So, can you hurry up a bit because I'm going to do it next <laughs> month?" And so, sure enough, him—he's going to take his brother along, and they're going to go up get into space just because why not?
0: Get into space. Yeah, I'll take my hat off to him. I mean, if you've got it and yeah, the other ticket's there. Yeah. And if you've got <laughs> the money to to have your own space company, I guess, yeah. It's, well, it's, not, it, it's, it's his space company. Yeah, It is, yeah.
1: It's the one that he started with with his spare $186 billion he's yeah, got. He had yeah. to try and work out something to do with it. And, and starting up a normal company doesn't chew up money like a space mm. company. They tend to chew up a bit more money. And there's a bit of a, a race at the moment with the billionaires. You've got Elon Musk with his SpaceX. Mm. You've got Richard Branson with Virgin Galactic, which has probably been going the longest of all of them. And of course, then you've got Uh, Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin so you've got this bit of a race going on but I think this is Jeff's way of of sticking up a couple of fingers at the other guys and saying you reckon you've got a space company well I've got one, and I've been up in space with that company, so <laughs>
0: take that. Well, well, Branson was talking like this about five or six years ago. I think um, mm. Virgin Galactic was all set to go off in about 2015. They had a couple of big accidents, um, and some people walked off the job and whatnot. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're still wa- watching and waiting for that. But I
1: think the concept is still right. They've just got to get the technology right, and, yeah. and obviously – Jeff's saying, I'm backing this, I'm taking my brother up there, I hope he likes his brother, I assume he does, I'm taking my brother up there with me, and so he's got to be pretty confident that it's all going to work okay, but obviously they feel like there is a huge market there for space tourism, and and they're not going to be cheap tickets, forget about the price I might have had to pay for a, a Concorde, an eBay ticket for Concorde, the prices for space tourism will be In the hundreds of thousands, if not in the millions of dollars for a normal ticket for you to go up and spend a bit of time just playing around in space.
0: Now, I gather that it's it's only a 10 or 15 minute flight as well. I I can't imagine it's
1: very long. I'm I'm not sure this particular one, Mm. but we can, there is hope for us, James, because we can get on this flight.
0: They do lotto? Believe it or not. lucky dip?
1: Almost. They've got a a little auction. So it's not a lucky dip, but at, at at the moment... The, the flight's going to go on 20th of July, so that's the anniversary, of course, when Apollo 11 went up and, and had some men running around on the moon. But on the 20th of July, that gives us a fair bit of time left to get the auction going and, and go and do a bit of fundraising, maybe a few cake stalls, that sort of thing, to raise <laughs> the money. At the moment, the bidding is at US $2.8 million, and I'm wow. a bit surprised by that. I actually thought it might be higher. Right. My, my guess, if I had to pick a number, I think this one ticket to hang around with Mark and Jeff ducking up into space... Will easily get up to about thirty million dollars in that auction. Maybe that's a it'll lot blow of that cake away. You've
0: got to sell. <laughs> that's fact, a few cakes. Probably <laughs> got to start up your own cake empire. To <laughs> in to the next, get to there. <laughs> in the next few weeks, you know. <laughs> oh, have got to get cooking, right? Yeah. So okay. anyway,
1: after that's successful, the good part will be that I'm sure Elon will want to go up there. I'm mm. sure Richard will want to go up there. They'll all be doing it, and then ticket prices will come down. They might only be a hundred thousand dollars at some stage mm. in the near future.
0: Yeah, we're right in our grasp. <laughs> that's right. It's that time again. It's time for the latest mail on internet scams. Matt, Australians would like to regard themselves as pretty savvy, but the figures say otherwise. And the COVID landscape provided a happy hunting ground for scammers. Am I right?
1: It did. The ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, has just released a report where they've given the dollar figure. We all hear about scams. We maybe know some friends that have been scammed. It might be 50 bucks here. It might be a bit annoying there. But in totality across this nation for the last year, $851 million was lost.
0: Oh, my God.
1: In what was known, wow. That's all that was reported. Many people that get scammed out of a small amount of money don't worry just about it because up. it's embarrassing, yeah, oh. it is. and they shouldn't be embarrassed. I had someone tell me the other day they were so embarrassed because they got scammed. So don't be embarrassed. You've got some people that are not very nice people who are using some very clever tools and working very hard to try and relieve you of twenty dollars. Yeah, you're
0: right, and that's uh, that's right. So the, the the smoke and mirrors that they use are very very clever, but nevertheless, if you've been scammed, I think yeah, you've you just. It's yep. annoying, it's frustrating, frustrating and, and sometimes
1: and it is embarrassing, between, although yeah. it shouldn't be. But Yeah, that, you're
0: right, it shouldn't be embarrassing. It
1: shouldn't be. When you start to break it down, investment scams cost $328 million, and investment scams are typically when the investment's too good to be true, invest your money and sometimes it's not even too good to be true it's just a normal investment invest in these condominiums and you'll get a five percent return on your money and people say oh well, that's a reasonable return that's about the same as i'd get in some other investments i'll go and invest in that so sometimes the really clever scammers don't say james i promised you a 30 percent annual return on your money and it's guaranteed because you go hold on that doesn't sound right but you do a more reasonable return it mm. sounds pretty good and they have some pretty effective marketing programs they do. So yeah, investment scams, 328. Romance came in number two at $131 million. That's, oh, that's really... That's a nasty one, isn't it? It's just taking advantage of people in a vulnerable Not state.
0: good, but yeah, that's taking advantage of, advantage of vulnerable people. Yeah, yeah,
1: but number three was payment redirection. And I really feel for this one, $128 million was lost in payment redirection. And these oh, are the ones really? where I send you an invoice. yeah And in between me sending it and you receiving the invoice, it goes via a scammer. They managed to steal that data away from going to you. They just changed the bank Alter details it. on that invoice.
0: Yeah, okay. You
1: receive the invo- You know you're getting an invoice from me because it's some work that I've done for you. So there's the invoice. You happily pay it. End of story. I ring you in two weeks' time saying, James, Where's I'm sitting around main? the guys with baseball bats. And you're saying, hold on, I've already paid that. Yeah, Here's the receipt. The That's not my bank details. What's going on? Oh, and away it's wow. gone to someone else. Those ones are very hard to guard against those, except I do say to people, When you get an invoice, if it's not the same invoice number or details that you've paid on a regular basis, if it's a new company you're dealing with or they've changed their details, pick up the phone, the good old-fashioned phone, and Mm. ring the person, can I just check your bank details, please, and make sure they match.
0: So you don't see us going back to a um, more cash-heavy sort of society. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone still wants to use their cards and use their direct debits and and transfers. I don't see
1: that. It's just, again, with every new bit of technology put in place, some scammer will try and get away around Mm. it. So I think it's just that constant leapfrog process where we've just got to get a little bit smarter and cleverer than the scammers. They'll come up with something to try and beat us, and on it goes.
0: Mm. Keeps people interested, huh? If you need to get around Brisbane, you've got to think about how you're going to do it. Buses might be a bit too crowded for you. Trains are just too inflexible. Maybe you're just not a taxi or an Uber kind of person. I understand Brizzy's had shared e-bikes and e-scooters to zip you around from point A to B, point B for a while, but they're really taking off. Is that right, Matt?
1: They've got two new companies that have come into their e-mobility schemes in Brisbane, and I'm pretty excited by this. I don't like to talk about Queenslanders leading Australia in anything at all. But in this case, (laughs) Brisbane is leading Australia. They are the most e-mobile city in Australia. Oh, wow. And good luck to them. They've got with this latest contract they've just released, they'll have two thousand e-scooters and eight hundred e-bikes. They've awarded them to two companies. Each company will take half of those numbers. They've actually had a trial going already with Lime, and Lime's been providing their e-scooters for some time now. I've ridden, I'm moving on lots of e-scooters around the world in different places, but Lime I've certainly used before, and and I love the concept. You walk up, you see a, a scooter there, free. You scan the QR code on it starts charging you some minuscule amount of money. We're talking about a couple of dollars for a normal ride, maybe. And you jump on the scooter and you ride from where you are to where you want to get to. You get off and you leave it there for the next person. So the whole concept is fantastic.
0: And it's a wonderful idea in theory. And in Brisbane, it's working quite well, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, otherwise you wouldn't have this this company, another company coming in and bringing in all theirs. But I know there are other cities around Australia where, where they've been fishing bikes out of waterways and from up trees and whatnot. And, yeah. But the uh, Brizzy seems to have the culture that, um, is, uh, where they're going to look after it. Well,
1: I'm intrigued by that because when I've seen them in various places overseas, that doesn't seem to have been a problem. It seems mm. to be that people are very good at leaving them somewhere nice, leaving them upright, leaving it there for the next person. But you're right, in, in some cities in Australia, that they've tried this. They have had uh, to... Fish them out of trees, rivers, wherever, and it just—it's like it's—it's there for the greater good. It's there for everyone. Don't don't wreck it for everyone. Brisbane, whether or not they've taken some of those hits and said we'll keep driving forward with it, or whether people have been a bit nicer in Brisbane, I'm not sure. But they are forging ahead with it, and I think once people get used to it, I think then people will go. Well, hold on, I shouldn't throw it in the river because I might need it tonight night yeah. when I'm coming home and, and I can't when get my car When it becomes
0: normal and, and people look after these things and it's normal to look after them and have them in good condition and people yeah. enjoy that.
1: These two particular companies, Beam and Neuron, that won the contract in Brisbane, they had some nice little bits of technology in them that Brisbane Council that was awarding the contract was impressed with. One of the things they did was they had geofencing. So when you normally ride an e scooter, you can ride it into some area there and then leave it. But if you try and get on it, and I've had this happen where I try and get on it and it says, no, I'm in the wrong area, I'm going, well, the scooter's here, so how can I be in the wrong area? area, but then you've got to find where you can use it and then move it out of that area before you can register to start riding again. They've got some geofencing where it'll just keep it away from those areas altogether. I assume that it will essentially just cut the power to the device as you're riding along so that you can't just keep going through, say, a high pedestrian area or even some risky areas where there's lots of cars or buses around still. That sort of technology is improving all the time, and I think with the geofencing, it's getting more accurate as to where it is. So it might have been in the past that it knew where the scooter was within a 50-metre radius. Maybe it's down now to a 5-metre radius, for example. That's all improving. That's all making it a better experience for people, but also making it so that it's better for the actual pedestrians, the other road users, other people out there, because obviously you don't want to have someone blasting through on an e-scooter and knocking some little old lady over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's another really interesting thing, and I I wonder if it'll sort of take off in rural areas, the the larger rural centres. I look forward to seeing a little bit more on that too.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it in rural areas.
0: Zoom meetings are the true gift from the COVID era. (laughs) Like it or not, they're now a thing. And Zoom have taken the hint and developed a spoonful of sugar to help this medicine go down. Now, how are the good people of Zoom helping us through the online meeting fatigue, there, Matt? Well,
1: one of the things with the Zoom meeting, obviously, is you sit around and you have your Zoom meeting and then afterwards you go back and keep doing whatever you were doing. But at some point during that, there's probably some action points, some things that you should do from that meeting. And then, I'm sure I was meant to do something from that meeting. What was it again? I'll go back and look at the recording of the meeting or ask someone else in the meeting. And it's all a bit clumsy. And so maybe by the next Zoom meeting, people haven't done what they were meant to do. So now you've got the ability to have an automated transcript. Right. So all those words that we spoke in the meeting, all the things that happened in that meeting, there's your transcript. And you can go back and follow up. Oh, there you go. That's right. I remember there. I've got to go and find the widgets for the next meeting. I'll go and get that done. But more importantly than that, I like the idea of saying, well, you know what, I probably don't need to do much input in this meeting. It just needs to be a listening meeting for me. So maybe I just wait for the transcript after the meeting and not actually attend the Zoom meeting because oh. I can just catch up on the notes afterwards because yeah, right. they're not expecting my input. <laughs> We're just being told some information there. So maybe it's not designed for that, but I can see it being used for that. Absolutely. Yeah, right. I just love the idea that you've got all those spoken words all there written down, ready for you to take action on, check back over, and you can't have James at the last meeting we said, well, no, let's just check the transcript. Okay. We'll just go and have a look yeah, there. Right. Settle those disputes straight <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah, that's right. I'm actually keen, James, to go a step further than this. I actually like the idea of having a transcript life. So as we walk around through life, we're just constantly <laughs> recording everything, and we've got a transcript. And so your that, life has
0: been journaled automatically. <laughs>
1: that's right, because there's yeah, so many right. times I go, look, I'm sure last week, James, we said we do this. And, no, I don't remember that. No, look, I'm sure I remember that. And, of course, memories are fallible, and we can... Implant memories, mm. and we can remember different things in different ways depending on our perception. Means yeah, yeah but when absolutely. It's all written down. When it was just, if it was totally journaled, I just, I'll just pull that out, James, and see what we said last week. And there it is. There's the written word, as according to my transcript device, anyway. <laughs> so, so that would be fantastic. But That's the next stage. At this stage, it's only just zoom meetings can be totally automated for a transcript
0: well i wonder folks if that has cured you of distaste for zoom meetings or whatnot or or maybe it's made you excited about them either way uh, we're going to call that stumps for this week thanks for tuning in once again folks you've been listening to matt dickerson for tech talk my name is james eddie lovely to have you listening in again